Hey, my name is Henry Haney Jr. I am the pastor at Deep Springs Baptist Church, coming to you here in the sanctuary of Deep Springs in beautiful Peachland, North Carolina. Now, I had intentionally, uh, I had initially intended to speak to you from the book of Isaiah, but as I began to pray and, and seek God's face about what he would have me to, uh, to share with you, I was uh, impressed that I needed to share with you about the good news. Uh, we've been bar bombarded with bad news lately. We've, we've uh, see the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats are arguing with one another. And uh, people are upset with the people that are hoarding meat. And people are upset with the government. And people are trying to decide what would be an a, a, a alternative to traditional toilet paper. These are the things that people are occupied with right now. But I thought it might be appropriate and fitting if I share with you some good news. So if you want to turn with me to the book of Romans, and uh, we're going to be in the first chapter today, and I think that God would have a word of encouragement to each one of us. We need good news. Uh, good news is found in the gospel. Now the gospel, the word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get our English word evangelize or uh, evangelism, evangelistic. And it simply uh, refers to the good news of God's saving grace. And so we're going to look in Romans 1 this morning, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. The Apostle Paul says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Paul had, uh, had not been to Rome yet, but his great desire was to come to Rome. Rome was literally the epicenter of the ancient world. It was the, uh, the center of the universe in, in political thought. And Rome was a symbol of power and authority. Even Israel had been subjugated by the power of Rome and by Caesar. They were an occupied nation. And Paul had a great desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel to see the power of God at work. And we're going to see uh, some application for believer and unbeliever alike here this morning. And re uh, regardless of where you are on that particular uh, continuum, God is going to minister to you, I believe, if you'll remain open to his word. First of all, he, in typical fashion in, in a letter, he, he thanks God for, for the people that he's ministering to, that he's going to speak to. And he says, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
literally throughout the whole Roman uh, Empire. Now, to be a Christian in Rome was no easy thing. Rome and the Caesars in particular were rather hostile toward Christianity. We read of uh, very barbaric things that were done to the Christians in Rome. We read about how uh, Emperor Nero would, would use Christians and light them up as human torches. They were fed to the lions. The, it was not popular to be a Christian uh, in Rome. Uh, Rome was rather hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these believers were a shining light in the midst of a dark world. And I would say to you that regardless of how dark it, it gets in the world, the light of Jesus Christ can shine through us and should. Now, in verse 9, he says, For God is my witness. Now, it's, it's quite, a, quite an astounding thing when you can call God to the witness stand on your behalf. I wonder how many of us could call God as a character witness. But, but Paul does that because he is a man of, uh, of considerable uh, integrity. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Now, again, this Greek word euangelion, gospel, uh, it's used about four times in this one discourse that, I, that I'm preaching from, from verses 1 uh, through 16. I realize I picked up in verse 8. In verse 1, it's the gospel of God. Uh, in verse 9, it's the gospel of his Son. Uh, it's, in verse 15, it's just the gospel. And in verse 16, it's the gospel of Christ. So you can see the theme here, the good news of Jesus. The gospel of his son, he says, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, Paul had never been there, and yet he was praying for them. There's a great truth we can see that we don't have to see the people that we're praying for. We don't have to even know them personally. We can pray for people all over the world in various regions of the earth. Not, and though they may not know who we are, and, and we might, may not know who they are, but we can pray and, and rest assured that God is working. I am convinced that there are people praying for me of whom I have never met, and people who are praying for me who would never perhaps darken the doors of this church. And I want you to take great comfort in that, that people somewhere, uh, someone is praying for you. All of us who came to faith in Jesus Christ came to as a result of someone's prayer. Someone prayed a prayer, and God answered it. So I would encourage you to pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ and pray for the Christians as well. Paul is praying for the believers. Now look at his request in verse 10. He says, Making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now, it was God's will for Paul to get to Rome, but it wasn't going to happen in the way that Paul had anticipated. What Paul had requested is that God uh, would allow him to come in a, in a means of prosperity. God had other plans in mind. But I want you to see this. He says in verse 11, He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. You know, every pastor, that's the way we feel. This certainly is not the ideal scenario where we're not able to gather together with the saints on the first day of the week. That, I would much rather meet with the saints on the first day of the week. And I long to see you. I hear some pastors sometimes, and they make uh, rather silly jokes. And they say things like, well, being a pastor would be great if not for the people. Well, without the people, there's no church. Without the people, you're not a pastor. You're not a shepherd. And, and yes, people do get on our nerves sometimes. And, and we can push one another's buttons and, and rub each other like sandpaper from time to time. But the truth is that we need one another, that we need uh, each other. And I want you to see something that might be lost if we, if we tend to 
underread the scripture here. It says in verse 12, it, Paul says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Now, I want you to consider this. I know some people take the attitude of, well, I don't need to go to church. I can just watch church on television. I can watch my favorite TV preachers. And yes, there are some good TV preachers, and, and there are some bad ones too. You need to be very selective uh, in what you watch. But consider the apostle Paul. Consider Jesus. Now, Jesus, the scripture says in Luke's gospel that Jesus went to the synagogue every Sabbath day to, to hear the word of God and to preach the word of God. Now, Jesus was certainly not there to learn anything. I mean, he, uh, he knows everything. He's God. When he was 12 years old, he was teaching the senior adult Sunday school class. Um, he was teaching the lawyers and the doctors. He was teaching the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. So it wasn't as if Jesus was coming to expand his knowledge base, but he understood this truth that the people of God need one another. We, we, there needs to be a gathering of the saints. But I want you to see Paul's attitude here too. Now, if anyone could make the argument that he didn't need to go to church or that he you know, really had no need for, for fellowship, that it would not benefit him, it might be the Apostle Paul. After all, Paul had seen Jesus Christ face to face on the Damascus Road. Numerous times the Lord appeared to him. The Apostle Paul took a trip to the third heaven. He heard things that was not lawful for man to utter. But notice Paul's attitude of humility. Paul says in verse 12, he said, Not only do you need me, but I need you. Church family, your pastor needs you. I miss the gathering of the saints. I miss the encouragement that you give me. Just this past week, a dear sister in our congregation called me and shared with me some insight that she had gleaned from reading the scripture. And we were both edified and comforted by that discovery. He says in verse 13, he says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul says, I want you to understand that I have planned for a long time to come to you. I can't remember who the quote is attributed to. Some of you may know. You can comment in the video if you want to. But I've heard it said, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. If you had told me, if you had asked me roughly three months ago, what are your plans going into Holy Week and Palm Sunday and, and Passover and Easter? Well, I can guarantee you the last thing on my agenda was sitting in an empty church and preaching to an iPad. That was not my plan. However, this didn't take God by surprise. God has his ways and his ways are higher than my ways. And he has a way to work in spite of our plans going astray. Now, sometimes Paul said, like to the Thessalonian believers, that Satan had hindered him from doing the work of God. But in this particular case, it was because he was occupied with ministering to the other Gentiles that had kept him from coming to Rome. And I think sometimes we, we miss little nuggets of, script, uh, nuggets of truth in the Scripture. And folks, this passage of Scripture, this whole discourse here, this whole... Um, uh, this whole passage of Scripture, there's no way I can do it justice. It's like, uh, I'm going to quote Greg Laurie here, it's like trying to drink water from a fire hydrant. There's so much here, there's no way we can adequately cover the material. But I wanted to bring that out. Now in verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, 
both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, this is a, uh, a figure of speech, a literary term, and it's called a mirrorism. And it's, it is used by contrasting uh, two completely opposite things to represent totality. And so when he speaks of uh, Greeks and barbarians, wise and to the unwise, in essence, he is saying, uh, I'm obligated to everybody. I am a debtor to everyone. Now, in what sense was Paul obligated or indebted to the whole world? Uh, or to the Romans in particular. He had never been there. So how is it that he owed anything to the Romans? Well, we often think of debt in terms of borrowing money from someone. Let's say I borrowed $100 from you. Then that would be, in one sense, I would be indebted to you. But what if someone else had given me $100 and entrusted me with that to give to you? They had given me that on your behalf. In that sense, I would also be a debtor. Consider what if you had discovered a cure for cancer and it, and it was free and available to everyone. Would you not have an obligation, a moral obligation, to share that with anybody and everybody that you came in contact with, especially those that are sick? sick? Well, of course you would. And in that sense, we have a very real obligation. We have the gospel that sets men free. We have the gospel that saves men eternally. We have the good news that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will live forever. We have a moral obligation to share that with others, to share our faith. And we all fall short. So in verse 15, he says, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Now there's two ways to define this word ready in the Greek. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the word right now. But there, in one sense, you can be ready, like being prepared. Like, for instance, uh, on Monday morning, those of you who have an essential job or Tuesday morning, whenever you go back to work, you're going to be brushing your teeth and, and taking a shower and washing your hands, hopefully. And so in that, in that sense, you'll be ready to go to work. But that doesn't mean you'll be eager to go to work. But the word translated ready here in verse 15 uh, is probably uh, rightly translated and is in some translations as eager. Paul was eager to preach the gospel. So he says he's obligated in verse 14. He says he's a debtor. There is a responsibility. However, that duty is not without delight. In verse 15, he says, I'm also eager to preach the gospel at Rome. Now, why on earth would Paul be eager to preach the gospel at Rome, a place where they were hostile to Christianity? It's because, and he's going to tell you in the subsequent verses, because he knows that his message is a life-changing message, which literally is the power of God. So he's, he's, he's obligated he says in verse 14, I am a debtor. He says in verse 15, I am eager. And I love this in verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed. Those are three bold declarations. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, one might ask, why would Paul even make such a declaration if it were not a very real temptation? And I would say to you that it is a real temptation. We saw even the apostle Peter when confronted with fear of persecution and retribution, Peter in that moment was ashamed. He, he denied the Lord three times. Now, thank God, 
He also reaffirmed his faith three times when Jesus asked him in John's gospel, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? And on, in, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, one of my favorite phrases uh, the people are accusing, you know, the Holy Spirit has come down from heaven. They're speaking with other tongues, and people are accusing them of being drunk. But the Scripture says something fascinating, profound and yet simple. It says, but Peter stood up. Before, he cowered in fear. But when he was empowered by the Holy Ghost, he stood up, and he preached that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 souls were added to the church on that day. Do you think Paul was ever tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Well, I'm sure he was. He's human. We all are. Why would we be uh, ashamed of the gospel? Well, I, you know, I would say that it's a very real temptation for all of us. We can be intimidated. Why? Well, uh, in, in Paul's case, he's going to Rome, which uh, is viewed as a symbol of power, and yet he is preaching a message of a Jewish carpenter who was crucified, buried, and rose again from a nation that Rome had conquered. Even Paul himself, now among the Jewish people, Paul had a reputation as being a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He was, he was a, an extraordinary rabbi, a Pharisee. But after his conversion to the Romans, he's nothing but a Jewish tent maker coming to preach a gospel about this Jewish carpenter. But Paul knows something that they didn't know, that led him to not be ashamed. He gives us the reasons that he's not ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, because it is the power of God. The Greek word here is dunamis. How many of you have heard of Alfred Nobel? Probably many of you have. And I would say the majority of people know Alfred Nobel because of the Nobel Peace Prize. What you may not know is that Albert Nobel is the one, Alfred Nobel is the one who discovered dynamite, from which this word dunamis is transliterated in English as power. Dunamis, dynamite, power. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, is not destructive power the way uh, dynamite is, but it's power to change lives. And notice it says not only that the gospel has power, but that the gospel is power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is life-changing power. Paul had, an ex Paul had experienced this firsthand on the Damascus Road. He met the Lord Jesus Christ, or rather the Lord met him. And he had a blinding revelation of Jesus. And his response was simply, Lord, what would you have me to do? And from that moment on, Paul dedicated his life to preaching the faith which once he had destroyed. It was a radical conversion. And I would say to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the same power today to change lives that it had back in Paul's day. It is the power of God to salvation. Now this is another reason it might lead some to be ashamed or be in, to be intimidated. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ tells everyone that you need to be saved. That your good works are not good enough, even on your best day. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the sinfulness of the human heart. Simply that we cannot save ourselves, we need a Savior. The symbol of Christianity is a cross, you see. To the Jewish people, 
The cross is a stumbling block. The preaching of the cross is a stumbling block. To the Greco-Roman world, it was foolishness. This idea that God would become a man, die on a cross. And by the way, the Romans reserved death by crucifixion for the most uh, horrific of criminals, the lowest of the low. And yet, that is the method and the message by which God saved humanity. is the preaching of a crucified Messiah. It is the power of God, the salvation. And then notice who it's for. Everybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. Why? Because everyone needs to be saved. Why? Because everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Paul said that later on in this letter to Romans. For all have come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise God. It's for everyone who believes. Now it was for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. You know, the, the, the gospel came first to the Jewish people. Believe it or not, Jesus was not an American. And even though in many of the movies it seems he's portrayed with having a European, a British accent, Jesus Christ was, he was fully Jewish. He came from the tribe of Judah. The Apostle Paul says uh, in verse 3 that Jesus Christ was of the seed of David. He came from the lineage of David. He was a Jewish, and the gospel had to first come to the Jews. John says it this way. He says that he came into his own, and his own received him not. But the latter part of that verse says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. It went to the Jew first, but also for the Greek. It's for everyone. Which brings us to our last verse in our study today. It says, For in it, what, what is it? The gospel, the good news. The righteousness of God. The Greek word is dikaiosune. Dikaiosune. And this word uh, righteousness is translated in some form or fashion almost 60 times in the book of Romans. It is the pivotal verse in the book of Romans, it describes the righteousness of God, and it deals with not only our dilemma. What is our dilemma? Our dilemma is that God is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, and we are completely sinful. I think Isaiah was the one who described it and said that our righteousness in the sight of God is literally filthy rags. And so we have a problem. God is holy and he must judge sin. He is righteous and we are unrighteous. So what are we to do? Well, God solved our problem in the person of his son. What we could not do on our own and in and of ourselves, God did. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh. God became a man. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He died upon the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried in the tomb. And thereby, with his perfect death, he satisfied the demands of a holy God. He satisfied the demands of a righteous God. And then he raised him again for our justification. Now Jesus Christ is alive. And the good news is that those who believe in Jesus, God justifies the one who believes in Jesus. God is both just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus Christ. If that doesn't work you into a shout, your wood's wet. It is the righteousness of God. Some translations literally say a righteousness from God. 
It is an imputed righteousness. It is a transferred righteousness. God puts the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our account. And it is revealed. Notice it's not worked up. It is not, it is not of human origin. It is revealed from God himself. And it's from faith to faith. You know, some people have a salvation testimony, but they don't have any present day testimony. If you ask some people what God's doing in their life right now, they'll point you back in maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they'll say, well, I got saved uh, back in 1942 or back in 1950 or 1980. Well, that's great. Praise God. You pass from darkness into light, from death into life. But that's not the end of the story. No. The God, do you realize that the gospel, excuse me, that the book of Romans was written to believers, people who were already saved? They needed to know the totality of their salvation experience. See, there's three tenses of salvation. One is justification. That is when a, an unbeliever believes in Jesus and God justifies him and declares him to be righteous. But then there's the second phase, which we are all in, those of us who are alive. That is sanctification. That is God is gradually, prog progressively, day by day, making us into the image of his son. Do we still sin from time to time? Yes. Do we still fail? Yes. But God is working on us. That's sanctification. The final tense of salvation is glorification. And Paul deals with all three tenses of salvation in the book of Romans. So it's from faith to faith. As it is written, and he quotes from the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, The just shall live by faith. If you've ever read the book of Habakkuk, and by the way, the just shall live by faith, Habakkuk's prophecy is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's here in Romans, it's also in Galatians, and it's in Hebrews in the 10th chapter. So this is an important foundational truth. Now, if you've read the book of Habakkuk, you know that Habakkuk and God were having a conversation. That whole book is a conversation. It's a dialogue between the prophet and God. And Habakkuk is complaining to God that the Israelites are living unjustly. There's all kinds of injustice and immorality going on. And his complaint to God is that, God, you see all this, but you're not doing anything about it. And then God answers him, and he says, you don't need to worry. Just be patient, Habakkuk. Uh, I'm well aware of what's going on. And in order to show you that I'm aware, I am actually going to bring the Babylonians in to punish you guys. Now, Habakkuk was outraged by this. God how could you punish us, with a, uh, punish us with the people that are even more unholy than we are? And God's response to him is, well, hold on tight, Habakkuk. Things are going to get better. Excuse me, things are going to get worse before they get better. But the just will live by his faith. And I want to say to you, the same is true today. You know, there's a lot of terrible things in the world. And people are asking God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Trust me, folks. God is in control. God is not the origin of evil. God is good. God loves his people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall, uh, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We live by faith. Now I'm going to read one more scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. Some people might ask what is the gospel? Well here it is. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers in verse 1 he says moreover brethren I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is, folks. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the crucifixion. That he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the euangelion. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to bring out one, one or two other things here that often goes unnoticed or, or uh, unspoken when we talk about the, the gospel of Jesus. It says, after that he was seen of Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. Then of the twelve. But, but there's something interesting when we get to verse 6. It says, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Did you realize that? When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the book of Acts tells us that for a period, a probationary period of 40 days, that Christ appeared to various people and demonstrated that he was alive, the scripture says, by many infallible proofs. So we know he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. But did you know that over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead? That is astounding. There is no judge and no jury that would overturn a verdict when there are 500 eyewitness accounts that saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead and, and show himself in a resurrected body. There is plenty of evidence to believe. Now I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. You may be a believer, and if you're a believer, I hope this has challenged you that you need to share your faith. I know that I am deeply convicted. When I look at the life of Paul, I look at his zeal, I look at the, uh, the overwhelming passion he had to preach the gospel. You know, Paul wasn't able to go to Rome, but what did he do? He wrote him a letter. And because we have that letter, today millions of people have gleaned some of the greatest theological truths from the book of Romans. I'm not able to gather with the saints on this Sunday, but I am able to preach to you by means of uh, audio, CD, sermon podcast, and, and Facebook Live. And I believe that God's going to use this medium to touch people's lives. But I want you to be challenged, believer. You need to be sharing your faith. Some people say, well, uh, I just want to let my good works speak for themselves. I just want to do lifestyle evangelism. Well, you know what? You need to be letting your light shine before men. But you also need to open your mouth. The Apostle Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, by you letting your, life, your light shine before men, you're actually, uh, you're actually gaining some equity with the people you're going to preach to. When they see your life and the way you live, they'll have confidence that what you're saying to them is the truth. But you may be someone listening to this message today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, I left off, I left off uh, talking about the righteousness of God, but in the very next verse, I'm not going to preach on it, it talks about the wrath of God. And there is a very real truth. Just as God is righteous and He is holy and He is loving, He must judge sin. Now, God judged your sin at the cross. God judged your sin at the cross. Jesus died in your place. But if you refuse to accept what He did for you, one day you will stand before God and you will be judged based on your own good works. And, and trust me, your bad works far outweigh your good ones. I know you think you're good, but the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. You don't want to stand before God on the basis of your good deeds. You want to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Be ruler over many because you knew the one who died for you. So I'm going to pray a prayer with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to agree with me. 
Heavenly Father, I admit to you, I am a sinner. I know that on my best day, I'm not good enough. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day. And I call upon his name and ask you to send your Holy Spirit. Save me, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Fill me with your spirit, and I will confess you before men. And I pray also for the believers that would hear this, that we would all be challenged to share our faith because like Paul, we are, we are indebted to God and we owe a debt to the world to share this good news, this good gospel news that we have that can save men's souls. And I also pray for all of our medical personnel, all of our first responders, all of our essential workers who are out there on the front lines. I pray that they would be safe. I pray that you would heal those who already have contracted the coronavirus. And I pray that you would protect all of those that are listening to this message today. I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to reach out to us and let us know. Don't be ashamed. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. I'll be coming to you again soon. Until then, God bless you.